Welcome to the LabOp Leaders Series, a showcase of global change agents and experts in healthcare and laboratory management. Here's your host, LabOp Global Founder, Robert Farias. We're pleased to welcome Maxwell Aconde to the LabOp Global Leaders Podcast. Uh, Maxwell, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Robert, for having me. Uh, Maxwell, can you get us started by uh, sharing with the audience your academic background, please? Um, so I am a professionally uh, trained medical laboratory scientist. And so I got my bachelor's in medical laboratory science from the Kwame Nkrumah University of uh, Science and Technology. Um, that's in Ghana. And then I further on went to get um, a master's degree, which is more like a master, master's in philosophy in hematology with a specification in transfusion science. And so I'm more like into blood banking, um, transfusion science. So those kind of folks that deal with you when you um, come to the hospital and like, you know, you need to be transfused with blood. Where we are those who ensure that the blood that is given to you is compatible with you and that um, you do not really react um, to that blood. Um, at the moment, I am I've transitioned from being a medical laboratory scientist, a certified one, by of course, um, to a different uh, field where I am looking at public health that is being being able to study diseases at the population level, and I'm specializing in epidemiology. Great, great. And so just uh, where are you doing your uh, your work in epidemiology at this point or your studies in epidemiology? Okay, so at the moment I'm studying at the University of South Carolina where I'm getting my PhD in epidemiology. And I um, my research area is more in cancer and infectious diseases. So uh, what I'm doing really is trying to combine my medical lab background as, you know, um, a medical lab scientist, and then being able to try, uh, uh, sort of apply that in populations. And so with cancer, I'm looking at being able to come up with some diagnostic tools um, that can be viable for population level screening. And particularly in ovarian cancer, if you are so much familiar with that cancer, it's more like a cancer that people don't get to know they have the cancer, they don't experience the symptoms in the early stages. And so really very much um, people get to experience the symptoms when the cancer, the ovarian cancer is far advanced. So at the moment, um, there is not really um, a screening tool I'm unlike in other cancers like breast cancer where you can do regular mammogram or in cervical cancer where you're encouraged to do HPV testing or in prostate cancer where you have to do PSA testing. In ovarian cancer, you don't have that. And so my PhD um, dissertation at the moment, I'm trying to look at coming up with some screening tool um, that can be applied in ovarian cancer for detecting um, the early stages of ovarian cancer. Oh, that's that, that's great, Max. And we'll get into that in, in particular detail very shortly, actually, because we're very curious to find out, uh, to learn a bit more about uh, what you're using as the base and, and the foundation of, of the approach to do so. Uh, could we just move on briefly to your professional career before we come back to that topic? Um, how did you get started uh, professionally once you graduated your undergraduate uh, from Kwame Nkrumah? Yeah, so after my graduation in 2013, um, I guess that's about almost uh, nine, 10 years ago. Um, when I graduated, 
the first uh, thing I, I had to do was to do an internship. You know, I need to get some bench experience as a hand-on experience. And so my internship was at the 37 Military Hospital, which is a UN level four certified facility. Um, this is a facility where they, they do basically everything in, uh, you know, medical laboratory diagnostics from the biochemistries to the blood transfusions to microbiology, you know, but it encompasses everything. And so I had the opportunity of, you know, um, doing my internship at that facility for one year. But during the period when I was doing my internship, like I mentioned, I took interest in blood transfusion. And so I equally did had the opportunity of working with one professor who by then was at the University of Ghana um, uh, School of Allied Health Sciences within the medical laboratory department. And so I served to that uh, professor as a research assistant where I had the opportunity of really engaging students, um, you know, taking some of the lessons or classes, you know, that the professor was supposed to take and being able to really translate what I was learning in um, the, the, the facility that's the 37 military uh, hospital to the classroom and taking them through some practical uh, sections. And so I have really been um, all my life from 2013 till now sandwiched between professional practice as a medical labs person and then also in research, like impacting students. And so after my internship in 2014, it was a one year internship, which like spanned from August 20. Um, 13 through to um, August 2014. After my internship, I was offered, you know, a part-time um, research assistantship to work with the University of Ghana Med uh, Medical Laboratory Science Department, where I served as, you know, um, that research scientist in molecular uh, biology as well as in hematology, you know, taking students through blood transfusion, uh, practical sections, and also in molecular biology, uh, practical uh, sections. And then in 2016, I transitioned to the Ghana um, Health Service, where I worked as a medical laboratory scientist on full-time basis. Um, but at that level, that um, facility where I worked, which is more like a district hospital, I was also the head of uh, laboratory diagnostics. So you know, being in the managerial position, you know, uh, two years after, two, three years after my graduation, and also, you know, sort of um, manning the lab as a medical laboratory scientist where we had nearly, um, you know, five, you know, depending on how you want to look at it, because some of them were on part-time basis and some were full-time uh, professionals. So about five uh, full-time professionals. And then we had, you know, some who were doing some part-time uh, basis with us. And so basically, you know, I have had that experience working as a medical lab scientist, um, as an intern, and then transitioning even to uh, combining my work as a scientist and being part of management where the decisions are usually taken concerning diagnostics in the facility. Okay, well, thanks for that. And so I, I understand along the way, you've also um, were the co-founder of an organization that you, that, uh, that you must have conceived at some point in time and wanted to get off the ground. Can you tell us about that a little bit? Yes. Yeah, so, you know, at some point I feel as medical laboratory professionals, there's a need for us to really be involved in policy making. So I take very much uh, interest in policy and leadership. 
So during my, um, my undergrad studies, I realized that there was that gap in terms of, you know, how medical laboratory students collaborated or, you know, yeah, sort of collaborated across different institutions. And so in Ghana, we have several institutions where, you know, the learning of medical laboratory science is um, undertaken. So I was in Ken University, that's a farming Kumar university. And then there were other universities where the science was being taught. So I thought that there was a need for us to really be able to collaborate and communicate, you know, get to know ourselves as, you know, students who are learning the science um, that can, you know, once we, we finish, we can transition into the, the main practice and continue to collaborate um, in different fronts. And so, you know, I took it upon myself to sort of, um, you know, start up this Federation of Ghana Medical Laboratory uh, Science uh, Sciences Association, um, Medic, sorry, Federation of Ghana Medical Laboratory uh, Science Students Association. It's called FG Melsa. And so basically LG Melsa is a federation that encompasses students from different institutions. Um, and uh, what I did was that I sort of liaised with people, students who were already in the other institutions. And then we were able to really come together, organize a, con a, a Congress for students, like their student base. Uh, we had, you know, student presentations, we had, you know, games, we had, we're able to really talk about issues that affected not just even students whilst we are studying, but the gap between transitioning from being a student to the professional um, work workspace. And so, you know, that uh, federation, I look back and I, I see a lot of things, a lot of amazing things that they are doing out there. Um, they are able to sort of, you know, talk to, uh, do outreaches to communities, you know, um, where the services of medical laboratory science, uh, science is not really very, um, available. So from time to time, they organize these services and they even go to the prisons, you know, to educate them on some health issues and even offer them basic screening um, exercises for different infectious diseases and offer them health advice. So basically it was a federation of medical laboratory science. And since then I've taken interest in different leadership space. Um, I have been an active member of the Ghana Association of Medical Laboratory uh, Sciences I have held some notable position, including uh, setting up, uh, you know, subgroups where, you know, they are more focused on uh, particular things. I was one of the foundation um, leaders of the med medical uh, laboratory professionals workers union. I actually served as the general secretary of that union, the interim general secretary of that union before I transitioned to the United States. And I had to, you know, hand over to someone else. Um, of course, so in, I have basically taken interest in different leadership uh, spaces. And as you may know, uh, at the moment, even though I'm getting my PhD in public health, I serve as the president for the Graduate uh, Student Association and, you know, just serving as an advocate piece for all graduate students at the University of uh, South Carolina. So, you know, I think that that is, for me, something that a lot of medical laboratory scientists have stayed away from, but we need to be involved in terms of what we need. We need to be able to advocate for ourselves. We need to be able to, uh, you know, have inputs into policies that affect medical laboratory science and as well, you know, the general population. And that's great, Maxwell. And clearly, uh, clearly going to class alone is not uh, is not difficult enough for you. So 
<laughs> it's glad that you <laughs> glad that you've had the opportunity to extend your capabilities and uh, and certainly change the lives of a lot of people. We just we actually interviewed the president of FG Melsa, the current president of FG Melsa, a few weeks ago. Uh, so okay. certainly certainly the, uh, the the foundation you've laid is still is still going strong uh, from what we see as well. Uh, so uh, Max, so just back to your let's. I want to transition a little bit to understand how you feel the MLS background has helped you make this shift into epidemiology. People can get into epidemiology different entry points. Uh, can you describe sort of wh- why you feel the MLS background has been a support to uh, to your transition? Yeah, so um, I probably can just give you a brief about how I transitioned from medical lab scientist, please. To, you know, uh, as an epi- a, a student epidemiologist. So, you know, when I finished my my program, I I wanted to be able to apply my medical lab science, not just in my workspace, like in my, in my laboratory. I wanted people to have a feel of what I do. And so pretty much I was involved in screening programs. Like we could organize hepatitis B screening programs where we just go to a community to screen the population. And those that were negative, we offer them vaccines, you know, and you know what vaccines do to serve you know, protect them against future infections. And those that were, you know, positive, we sort of refer them to facilities where they can get further treatment for. And so from that level, I I started thinking about, you know, what what better can we do in terms of applying what we do, you know, for individuals who come to the uh, facility, to the population level where rather we we would, will center more on preventive measures. Like I mentioned, you screen someone, the person is uh, negative today. It doesn't mean that the person is going to continue to be negative. Is that something we can do to keep that person negative? And that is what public health uh, does. So public health sort of, or epidemiology, of course, sort of tries to develop uh, tools that can be applied at the population level to keep the population from falling sick rather than, you know, um, healthcare where people fall sick and come to sick uh, treatment. And so sort of I, it's, it's my, the activities that I was involved in and all of that. So at one point I had a contact with the American, um, the American Society for Clinical Pathologists, that's the AACP. Um, they were trying to set up some cancer diagnostic facilities in developing countries because they realized that there was um, that gap in terms of when people come to the hospitals and when people get, you know, their laboratory diagnostics for cancer. So a huge turnaround time uh, for cancer diagnostics in a lot of developing countries, if I can say that, including Ghana. And so when they needed to set up these facilities, and we were trying to get Ghana on the map because they needed some data pertaining to what the current status is in terms of diagnosis, cancer diagnosis in Ghana. Are people really able to get their reports early? You know, what is the situation? Do we need to have some facilities or diagnostic facilities um, in some areas? So I was key to that project. Um, it's a project that was, you know, co-founded by the uh, Clinton's Foundation and the, the, the White House. So when I got involved in that, you know, facil- uh, uh, project trying to get the data as to the cancer situation, as to turnaround time, I realized that even in Ghana, we didn't really know, you know, our cancer numbers. Sometimes we rely on um, institutions like the World, the World Health Organization 
or the global uh, health to sort of get estimates as to you know, the cancer situation in Ghana. Um, at the moment, as I talk, we don't really have a national cancer registry. So where do you get the numbers from? Where do you really cite these uh, uh, facilities that are coming into to help um, people across the country, right? So being involved in this facility, I realized that there was a gap. The gap is that we don't know the numbers. And that is what epidemiology tries to do. Epidemiology tries to describe, you know, um, diseases in population, the distribution of diseases in population, which population needs uh, more facilities as compared to, or health interventions as compared to the other, uh, you know, population, right? So, you know, my work there helping to establish the tele, they were actually telepathology diagnostic uh, facilities where, you know, once a medical lab scientist prepares a slide, you don't have to wait for a specialist pathologist to come and pass it out. You scan it into the system, and where wherever a pathologist, whenever a pathologist is available, whether in the United States or in Europe or wherever, because it's a network of pathologists that use that system. Whenever a pathologist is available, they read a slide, they can take it for a second opinion, and then the results can be uh, utilized to help you know, diagnostics, because in Ghana, um, you know, we don't have a lot of pathologists who can pass out slides readily, right? So that was a facility I was involved in. And just recognizing that gap, I thought that, you know, already with my, my background in diagnostics, with my zeal to see that, you know, medical lab science is translated at the population level, epidemiology became my choice. And at the time, I was already pursuing a master's in hematology, um, which is more of blood transfusion, right? So sort of transitioning from medical lab, my, my skills with diagnostics, and being able to apply those diagnostics into um, the population level was really helpful for me. And I keep going because in my PhD level, I'm still trying to apply my medical laboratory diagnostic skills um, to developing screening tools that can be used at the, the, the population level. That's a perfect segue, Maxwell, because I wanted to get back to your uh, to the concept of your thesis and what you're what you're aiming for at the moment. So, can you elaborate on that a little bit? Yeah. So, my interest has been in cancer since I I started my PhD, and since I you know had the opportunity of working with the AACP. And so during, in my, in my uh, PhD, I, I have been studying ovarian cancer. And ovarian cancer is such that, you know, um, when, you, when you first have it, like at the initial stages, you don't experience any symptoms. You don't have any signs, anything to show that you have cancer. You don't really fall sick, right? Until the cancer has spread to other parts of the, the body, like maybe the, the other organs, right? Then you begin to feel you know, no, there's something wrong with me. But, you know, biologically, once there is something wrong with your system, your, your system produces uh, biomolecules or what we call biomarkers, um, you know, to be, to be more specific. And so I'm trying to see um, in the early stages of ovarian cancer, are there particular biomarkers that can differentiate um, cancers from benign tumors? Uh, because, you know, the location of the ovaries doesn't allow easy access to it for us to take a biopsy and examine, right? So it's only surgical procedures, invasive surgical procedures. And you don't want to unnecessarily cut people 
you know, to sort of uh, uh, realize that they don't have cancer. So with the knowledge in biochemistry and uh, how bio uh, biomarkers are sort of produced, um, at the moment, we have some biomarkers that are used as prognostic markers, like cancer antigen 125, uh, which is predominantly used together with uh, the transvaginal uh, ultrascan, right? But those are used as, you know, uh, for monitoring prognosis or treatment. So when you get treated for uh, ovarian cancer, you can be monitoring your status with those biomarkers. But I, I want to be able to, to, to combine biomarkers that can you know, differentiate when you have a cancer or detect the ovarian cancer in this early stage. So um, cancer antigen 125 is very uh, important for that uh, role because there have been so many explorations in that space, but at the moment, nothing really has been done. So I'm, I'm trying to see if I can come out with a multi-panel biomarker, uh, maybe about three or four, uh, biomarkers where they can be integrated in a single test kit um, such that when you go to the hospital and then they, they use this test kit to you know, test your blood sample and they realize that maybe these biomarkers are sort of elevated in you, you are more likely to um, have you know, ovarian cancer. Of course, we are looking at that likelihood to, uh, to be about more than 95%. That is in terms of the, the, the sensitivity and then a higher specificity as well, right? So basically to develop a, a, a multi-panel biomarker um, in a rapid diagnostic kit that can be used to differentiate between, um, uh, I mean, to detect the early stages of ovarian cancer. And I'm, I'm looking at, you know, the rapid diagnostic kit because I want to come out with a kit that can be used, be, be applied in every aspect of our globe, anywhere, around the world, including spaces where there is no electricity, where you cannot, you know, uh, use some heavy uh, medical laboratory equipment, right? So that is what I'm, you know, um, modeling my research around. And so at the moment, I am at the data collection stage um, where, you know, um, I, have, I have a cohort of ovarian cancer uh, uh, subjects and then I have, you know, people, women without ovarian cancer, following them over a period of time. I said they are, um, they are you know, the, about 32. I'm actually looking at about 32 biomarkers at the moment where I will examine each of these 32 biomarkers uh, and see which ones really gives us more information as to when, you know, at which level, you know, a woman was closer to getting ovarian, diagnosed with ovarian cancer. So exploring these 32 biomarkers over, you know, a cohort of, uh, of women who some became uh, cancerous or developed ovarian cancer and some are still in the control group or do not have ovarian cancer, looking at these biomarkers and then developing a panel that can be applied in, uh, you know, all other populations. That's very commendable, Maxwell, and certainly the, uh, the understanding and the end goal of where the where this type of testing would be uh, available eventually as you as you go through your development stages is a is a phenomenal vision to have as well uh, and, and appreciate that you're you're taking that step for for everybody basically uh, so Maxwell help us understand the connection between yourself and University of South Carolina how did that come to be um, so that's an amazing story but I'll try to summarize it it's a it's a, a long story 
But it also goes back to the uh, my involvement with the AACP project, trying to establish you know the diagnosis, the telepathology diagnostic facilities. So you know, um, in 2016, whilst I was working at a district hospital, I got an email from you know um, one professor at MUSC, that's the Medical University of South Carolina. She has a project that she's running in Ghana called Project Okrasi. And so anytime I talk about my transition from public health, Project Okrasi serves as um, an important uh, role. It, plays, it played an important role in, 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 in getting me to this um, level. So I got this email from this professor who says, hey, there is this project that you know the United States government is trying to initiate for developing countries. And I think that Ghana will be, Ghana will be a, a good place to have this facility because already we had some diagnostic uh, challenges just like uh, many other uh, low-income countries. So basically um, my connection with this professor and being involved with her project subsequently because she runs a project called Project Okrasi and that project is involved in multiple um, areas including um, organizing village health outreaches. So. I have already mentioned that I'm passionate about, you know, village health outreaches. So I was involved with developing a medical laboratory facility for their project um, when they go out for the village health outreaches because initially what they did was that they didn't have diagnostic, you know, diagnosis. They just went there, listened to the people and based on uh, their symptoms, uh, they administered therapy, which I thought was uh, really a 19th, century or if you like, you know, a, a middle age uh, practice of medicine. So I, I sort of pushed for uh, Progetocracy to incorporate diagnostic. I set up the village lab for them. Um, and so, you know, sort of when I was thinking about a PhD, um, of course, I've been involved working with people from Medical University of South Carolina. So South Carolina was on my mind. Um, the immediate place to go is to look at universities that, you know, were doing well in the area that I wanted to go, which is public health. And I feel when it comes to uh, public health, the University of South Carolina uh, stands tall within um, South Carolina. And of course, compared to even many other institutions within the United States and outside the United States. So basically, um, you know, my relationship with Progetocracy and working with them over the period you know, uh, imprinted South Carolina in my mind. And it was the first state I looked at, you know, coming in to do my PhD. I, I reached out to professors who were already, um, who were in the, who were here at the University of South Carolina doing similar things that I was interested in. So sort of reaching out to these professors and discussing uh, my interests with them and, you know, getting them to uh, serve as my mentors uh, for my PhD. Um, I would say to that, you know, the type of professors here was um, a genuine factor because I found myself in someone who was already doing what I want to do, right? And he was doing it perfectly well. And, you know, my first conversation with him really inspired me to want to be here, right? So um, I quickly applied and then I, I was offered, you know, this assistant, this um, PhD with an assistantship where I can get to work and, you know, still be able to school and take care of my bills. That's great, Maxwell. Congratulations on that. Uh, Maxwell, I'd like to ask for your um, 
your advice. Typically, we ask our guests to provide some advice to, to students and early careerists uh, around the field. But I think for your for your you in particular, I, I'd like you to share your thoughts for other people that are looking at your similar path around developing diagnostics, around developing uh, around developing really taking taking the role of saying, yes, we're, we understand the science, yes, we understand the, the need, and yes, we understand the local situation, but we're actually trying to develop end tool and not be just a user of those tools, right? So can you give some advice to people interested in that facet and that aspect of, uh, of, of MLS world, essentially? Yeah, so I think that when it comes to medical lab science, it's, I don't know for the United States, but you know, in Ghana, is it's really a broad sphere. So you go to school, you learn so many disciplines within medical laboratory science. Um, you know, you take classes in microbiology, in pathology, in you know hematology, in biochemistry. So you know, first it goes back to being able to identifying what you really have interest in. Um, and for me, I. Having I had interest, I had recognized that way earlier in my in my professional career that I I wanted to translate my um what I was doing my skills in diagnostics not just to people who fall sick and come to the hospital but I wanted to reduce the number of people who come to the hospital and so translating that into developing preventive measures that is how I found my passion in I I don't want people to to unnecessarily visit the hospital. Of course, the hospital is there to take care of sick people. But what if we can we can we can reduce the number of people who come there? And of course, that is going a long way to um, increase the life expectancy, right? If you're able to develop those preventive measures. And so I think that you know, as young people, uh, people who are, you know, who have the background in medical laboratory science, our you know, opportunities are unlimited, you know. And so if you identify what you want to do, you, you need to take the necessary steps. In my case, I identified that I wanted to do um, public health. I wanted to transition into epidemiology, you know. So I, the necessary steps I took was to research around the area, you know, where can I possibly get a degree that I can use, you know, uh, be able that a degree that can give me the, the skills that I needed to be able to use to do what I want to do. So I went, I researched about institutions. I researched about, you know, people who were already doing what I wanted to do, even if they, they are not medical laboratory scientists, because, you know, you find that um, elsewhere, people are able to move from one discipline to the other, right? So I found someone who was already doing what I wanted to do. I spoke with the person. So you need to have the conversations, identifying a good mentor, right? And having the conversation with that mentor about what you really want to do. Um, and then seeing what help that is out there. I think that, you know, there are opportunities for medical laboratory scientists. And for, for me, I don't think I probably would have been able to make it if not for the fact that I had some assistantship. And these assistantships are available for medical laboratory scientists who are able to discover themselves and want to take further steps in becoming what they want to become, be it getting um, a, another degree, um, a terminal degree, or whatever you know they want to be able to do. There are always opportunities. 
And then one other thing that I, I feel that is missing um, from a lot of scientists is, is, is the ability to collaborate. And I think that as medical laboratory scientists, we, we do not work in vacuum, we work with other people. And so extending your tentacles and working with other people, having some collaboration. So even if you are in the, the hospital setting where you provide diagnostic services to sick people or to people who come to the hospital, you can still be able to collaborate because that is a space where you generate a lot of data. So you need to also be able to have an understanding of that data. So even if you're a medical laboratory scientist and you don't have the skills to analyze the data, it will only take collaboration between you and someone who has the skills to, to do that, maybe a biostatistician or an epidemiologist who has the understanding of the data to be able to do that. So I think that, you know, for me, just to summarize it, you need to understand yourself. You need to do the research about where you want to go. You need to talk to the necessary people, especially identifying people who are already doing what you want to do, and then develop the spirit of collaborating or networking with other people. Great. Thank you, Maxwell. Um, final question for you, then. It kind of alludes to a little bit to what you've been relating to, but uh, any particular mentors or supporters that you'd like to acknowledge uh, as we wrap up this episode? Uh, yeah, there are tons of people that have, you know, given me the platform, you know, to develop my dreams and several people that I've worked with. Um, I would say when I, when I, when I, when I had the idea of first, you know, FG Melsa, I spoke with, you know, some professionals who were already in the field. And as a matter of fact, FG Melsa had been a dream by other people. So sort of, I needed to talk to those other people who had already had the dream or sort of, you know, thinking about it and probably done some little bit of work, work about it. And so one person that I spoke to at the time was a vice president for the Ghana Association of Medical Laboratory Scientists, Dr. Sebisaki. Um, I mean, he has been one person that I looked to from afar. And, you know, during that time, you know, he sort of offered me the platform to be able to implement this idea. And I had the support of the president at the time, who is uh, currently uh, Dr. Prince Amuzu. So there are two people that offered me the support at the time. And uh, further, um, I would like to appreciate, you know, the professor at the Medical University of South Carolina that I've worked with, uh, worked with um, you know, for the past uh, five years, six years, uh, since 2016, Professor, um, he's actually Dr. Cindy Swainston. He, she is, um, you know, the co-founder for Projectocracy. My role with Projectocracy is one thing that, you know, offered me the, 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 the ability or the opportunity to think about, really evaluate what I wanted to do, and then be able to talk to the right people because I, I, I realized when I had the, the, the dream of really getting a terminal degree in epidemiology, based on my passion, I spoke with her and she was able to really offer me the, the needed advice that I, want, I, I, I could take to be able to become what, I, what I'm doing now. So I appreciate her, her role in my life so much that you know I'm still in contact where we get to do other collaborations and at the moment, we work on different other projects, even though she is more of a psychologist, uh, we still have some intersection where we, we play roles in, in, in research, in you know, conducting um, some research activities. And finally, to my current uh, advisor, 
Um, I, I recognize that the first time I reached out to him, he was he he received me with open hands. He offered me the needed guidance. He is uh, Dr. Anthony Albach, the current chair of the Department of Epidemiology and Biostats at the University of South Carolina. You know, he continues to play a, a very good role in my life and continues to direct me. And then to several peers that have supported me, um, I, 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 I haven't forgotten the fact that when I dreamt of FGMLs, that there were people, students like me that I reached out to um, who were really very supportive of you know, the idea and came on board uh, to help with their vision. And I see they are doing so much uh, then. And I look back and I feel, I feel, with, I feel myself, like, I feel so proud about what I started years ago that is still uh, flourishing. So you know, just giving thanks to all these individuals and many, many, many more people that you know, I'm not able to mention on this platform because of time, but I appreciate their role in my life. And uh, I think that if you do have such a support system in, in, uh, for yourself, you'll be able to achieve anything. Anything is within your reach. Thank you very much, Maxwell. We appreciate you having on the having you on the podcast, and we certainly look forward to hearing about the progress in your uh, in your development work and uh, and your thesis. Thank you, Robert, and thanks for having me, and I appreciate the opportunity to be on this platform. To make a suggestion of someone that would make a great guest or topic you would like to hear more about, please visit us at labop.org. That's L-A-B-O-P-P dot org.